Um, I'm going to continue today. Um, we've been in a series like talking about the life of David, and I'm excited to continue uh, talking about one of the stories of David today. And I'm going to get to talk about one of the more um, universally well-known stories of David and Goliath. And uh, as I was preparing, I was thinking about the a scene from Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, where Indiana Jones is running. He's running in the marketplace. Uh, he's being chased. He's being pursued. He ends up in the middle of a marketplace, and all of a sudden, the, the crowds clear out. And he's standing there and a guy from maybe like from me to Eric starts wielding this big sword. And you have this moment in the movie where you're like, oh no, this guy's got a serious sword. He's got serious skills and Indiana Jones is done for. And it's this very dramatic moment. And I love the scene because all of a sudden uh, this intimidating moment happens. And then uh, Harrison Ford, Indiana Jones, just pulls out his pistol and kills the guy and then keeps running. And all of a sudden, what you thought was going to be this very climactic, highly confrontational, perhaps it's over moment. Um, it's over just like that. And it's interesting, the, the writer, uh, when you read commentaries about the book or the chapter of 1 Samuel 17, 1 Samuel 17 is where you find the story of David and Goliath. Um, some commentators say this, they say that all of this context is, so much of that chapter is spent talking about the context and the posturing and the storylines and the, everything that's going on. And all of a sudden, the interaction between David and Goliath is kind of quick, kind of quick and over. It's like, boom, okay, it's done. Now let's move on. Uh, it's an interesting story when we think about that. And it's something that I think we all have history with. We all have stereotypes with David and Goliath. Um, you know, it's used frequently to depict uh, underdog stories, impossible wins, um, you know, the miracle on ice that happened in 80, 1980, whenever that happened a long time ago, um, you know, March Madness, uh, basketball, the Cinderella team upsets the, you know, the number one seed. So we have all of these, these paradigms and scenarios and this analogy of David and Goliath gets used over and over and over and over again. So it's a familiar story for us. But hopefully today, as we look at this story, um, we can um, ask the Lord to highlight some fresh things for us. I loved as we sang this morning, we sang that song about he's the same God. And uh, there's even a, a, a verse that we sang in there about the life of David. He was the same God for David that he is today. So as we look at this story today, I ask that the Lord would just make it alive and real and relevant for us today. So let's set a little bit of context. Um, this story takes place in the early life of David. He's already been anointed by Samuel, and he's already gotten his first job. Uh, now, his first job or his second job, his first job has always been tending the sheep of his family. The second job that we see happening for David uh, in the chapter just before the chapter of Goliath is he's hired as a musician. He's hired as a musician to go and play uh, his instrument in uh, Saul's uh, presence because Saul uh, has fits of, of anger and rage and fits of, of, of different things. And David comes and he soothes Saul. So, uh, David's a teenager and he's working two jobs and he's going back and forth. The scripture says that he's traveling back and forth. He's going home and caring for his sheep. And then he's being called into to, to Saul's palace to play and um, help soothe Saul who's tormented. 
and, and he's the youngest, so that he's doing this back and forth. And during this time, Saul and the, and the Israeli uh, people are at war with the Philistines. And in fact, the Philistines are their biggest nemesis. They're their biggest, um, they're the ones that, that is opposing them the most. And a lot, of, a lot of people say it's the reason why Israel wanted a king. They wanted a king because they wanted someone to stand up to the Philistines. And we've talked in previous uh, messages about um, how they rejected God in wanting a king. That wasn't exactly what the Lord wanted. He was going to deliver another way. But the Lord accommodated their request and gave them Saul. So they're at battle. They're at war. They're at war with the Philistines. And if you read previous chapters, you see Saul's going to war and he's fighting against them. And he's trying to get mighty people into his army to always battle. So there's this context happening at the time, an ongoing battle with the enemy that is the Philistines. So this occurs, this story of Goliath occurs while Jesus, or uh, while David is going back and forth, uh, working his two jobs. And the Philistines want to go to war again. They want to go to another battle. And so we pick up in 1 Samuel 17, verse 1, where there's a battle that's set. So it says the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Sokoth in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephthis Damon between Soko and uh, Azekah. Sorry, I didn't practice pronouncing these places. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the Valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley in between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out from the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze uh, greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. He was a, he was a big dude. Some commentators say he was six foot seven, almost seven feet tall. Others would say he was over nine feet tall. Um, but, you know, I think seven, uh, you know, if, if you're talking seven feet and up, it's a pretty big guy. Um, the average height at that time was five foot five. So I would have been tall back then. It would have been a great time to be tall. So this is, uh, this is the landscape. So Goliath comes out. I'll keep reading here in verse eight. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, this day, I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. So you don't see in previous chapters Saul being dismayed or terrified. You don't see this as a pattern, but you, you see them inquiring of the Lord in earlier chapters, in earlier chapters trying to figure out what, what are we supposed to do, inquiring of the Lord. We hear of Saul as this great warrior in the past, but something's changed this is, this is not their first battle. What's, what's going on? Something's different. They don't seem up to the task. Saul doesn't seem up to the task. At this time, it would have been appropriate for Saul to step out. Saul was considered the tallest uh, head and shoulders above other people, the other warriors in Israel. 
They were afraid. Whatever it was, they were afraid. They were discouraged. They were dismayed. And this intimidation by Goliath went on for 40 days. Every day, Goliath would step out and say the same thing. So that's the context. Every day, 40 days, stepping out, saying the same thing, intimidation, worry, fear, dismay. And along comes David. He's too young to fight in the army, but he's got three older brothers that are there fighting. And at this time, uh, David's dad, Jesse, says, David, why don't you go take some food to your brothers, help them out, get, get some food to the front lines, and then I want you to see how they are and bring, bring back some assurance from them. Let me know how it's going. So you've got frontline soldiers. They're going to go supply food to them and then let them know how it's going. When David gets to the camp, the army's going out into battle position, shouting a war cry. The armies draw up the lines and face each other. And David really wants to see what's going on. He wants, to, he, he, he wants to see what's happening. So he leaves the food with the keeper of the supplies and runs to breed, greet his brothers on the front line. And it's recorded this way in verse 23. It says, as he was talking with his brothers, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines, shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? So here's, you now have David uh, involved and immersed in the story, interested in the story, understanding what's going on. It's interesting that um, Saul has offered this reward for anyone who will go out and fight. It's interesting that Saul didn't spend time inquiring of the Lord or seeking the Lord for direction and strategy. He starts first by looking around and trying to figure out, will anybody go? He starts looking at his fighting men, looking at others, trying to solve the solution with rewards for them. Saul was looking to his own resources to solve the problem. No one was up for it. Saul viewed this problem as his problem, not God's problem. When we see our circumstances as our problems and not something in which God is intimately involved and cares, then we'll come up with our own solutions, won't we? We have that temptation. You see in Saul, you see in Saul this, um, there, there's nothing, no one acknowledging God's involvement. The first time God's involvement is acknowledged is David. And David says this, and we just read it. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Everywhere else prior to that, they were referred to as Saul's army. That's what Goliath referred to them as. Goliath came out and said, you're Saul's army. You're Saul's army. And Saul's like, yep, this is my army. And this is my reward if anybody will go out. Everything about their, the way Goliath spoke to them and the way they spoke to one another reinforced this idea that they were Saul's army. 
And David shows up and he introduces a different identity to the people. He shows up and says, wait a minute, isn't our identity the army of the living God? Isn't our identity the people of God? Isn't that our identity? Have we forgotten our identity? Have we forgotten who we are? That's, that's a classic lie that the enemy uses all the time. Uh, you're, you're Jerry's son. You're so-and-so's daughter. You're so-and-so's this. You're so-and-so's that. Demeaning, speaking down to our identity, not acknowledging our identity. The enemy comes out and lies and says, oh, you're Saul's people. You're Saul's people. You're Saul's people. And David's the only one in this entire narrative that you see in 1 Samuel 17 that changes the story. He sees something different. We sang this morning, Lord, open the eyes of our heart. We want to see you. David shows up as someone who sees God as a living God, as someone, they are the people of God. They see, he sees their identity. He sees who God is. He brings a completely different perspective to the context. So for 40 days, Goliath's been defying the people of Israel, calling them Saul's army. The word to defy has other context to it. It means to blaspheme, to upbraid, to expose, to rail on, really like to embarrass, that idea of like exposing someone, embarrassing someone. The word reproach is also used, this context that there's a reproach. So that's what Goliath is doing, is he's blaspheming, he's railing, he's bringing reproach on the people of Israel. And they're believing it. They're, they're receiving it. They're listening to it. They're taking on this reproach, this false identity, this identity that Goliath is speaking over them. I couldn't help but think about the parallel of, of this 40-day period of Goliath lying, 40 days of Goliath going out and lying and lying and lying. And I, and I remembered the story of Jesus It says in Matthew 4, and Luke, I think, records it in chapter 4 as well. Jesus goes into the wilderness, and he's tempted for 40 days. He's tempted by the enemy for 40 days. And twice, the the enemy says to Jesus, if you are truly the Son of God, he he challenges Jesus' identity right from the very beginning. It's like Jesus and David are having, uh, uh, Jesus is having a David experience. He's encountering Goliath. He's encountering the liar, the deceiver, the enemy, Satan in the wilderness. And and the same lies are being spoken. The same reproach is being spoken. If you are the son of God. And the same temptations are being spoken to Jesus. He's saying, uh, why don't you come and worship me? Why don't you become subservient to me? The Philistines wanted to make the nation of Israel subservient to them. They wanted to bring them into captivity. Satan wanted to make Jesus bow, just bow down to me, Jesus, and I'll give you everything, but make yourself subservient to me. Goliath just wanted a a man from Saul's army to face him on his terms. Satan wanted to make Jesus subservient before he even started his ministry. And it's interesting when you look at this experience with Goliath, this is the absolute turning point in David's life and in the life of the nation of Israel. This is not just a story. We read this story as kind of like almost a hoorah, look at how courageous this person is. You can face your Goliaths too. 
we view it very individualistically. What is the Goliath in your life? The Lord wants you to help overcome it. This, this story of David overcoming Goliath is, is not about David overcoming his own personal challenges. Goliath was not in his town. David was not in, uh, in the army. David was, Goliath wasn't David's problem to overcome. But David had a heart. David had a heart after God. And, and it says that David was a shepherd of the people Israel. He was a shepherd. So all of a sudden, David shows up and he goes, man, God's made me a shepherd of Israel. And this guy, this guy, this guy is coming against the sheep of Israel. Not against me personally, not against, not a personal attack, not for my own personal gain, but coming against the people of Israel. Jesus, the great shepherd, the great shepherd comes and he's, he's saying, this guy, this guy's coming against my people. This guy's coming against all of my people. You can see the passion in David. You can see the passion in Jesus. David's the one who calls forth Israel's identity. David's the one who comes and sees things differently. Jesus is the one who calls forth our identity. He calls it forth. Eugene Peterson says this about David. He, record, he writes this about David showing up on the Goliath scene. And he talks about how David thought and saw differently. He says this, his imagination was so thoroughly God-dominated that he couldn't believe what he was seeing and hearing when he walked into that place. He saw Goliath, Goliath terror, Goliath phobia. It was epidemic, worse than cholera. Everyone down with Goliath sickness, a terrible disease of spirit that had Saul and his entire army incapacitated. What David knew and experienced of God, what David had learned about the history of Israel and their identity, didn't measure up with what David was seeing when he arrived. He's like, Man, I've, God, I've seen you alive and active as I'm caring for my sheep. You're helping me kill bears and lions to protect my sheep. And I've heard the stories of coming out of Egypt and you parting the Red Sea. I've heard what you did before. And David's like, that's the vision. That's the picture that I see of God. And he's like, something's amiss. Something's not right. In my life, in my experiences, I felt at times that something's amiss. I'm a, I get afraid. I get immobilized. I don't know what to do. I get Goliath phobia, if that's a thing. Eugene Peterson goes on to say this, the moment we permit evil to control our imaginations, dictate the way we think and shape our responses, we at the same time become incapable of seeing the good and the true and the beautiful. It's like David shows up and he sees the world in a very, very different way. I need and needed the ministry of David to show up on the scenes of my life and ask better questions. Ask questions like, who, who is this guy? Who is this guy? Who's, who's this one defying the armies of the living God? Who's this guy? Man, it changes it, doesn't it? 
It changes it when Jesus shows up in our lives, when we show up in one another's lives, and, and we hear a different story. We hear a different narrative. I'm a son of the living God, but I forgot who I am. I forgot I'm not alone. I forgot that he never leaves me or forsakes me. I forgot. The ministry of David helps us remember who we are and who God is. The ministry of David helps us remember who we are and who God is. And as part of our calling as followers of Jesus, we have this, this same heart that David has to remind one another who we are and who God is. Corky, who um, was a senior minister here for many years at our church, um, I loved, I can't remember if he preached this or if it was just in conversation when I was around him, but he would talk about how um, sometimes we have to wait for the Davids to show up. We have to wait. And it was, it was foolish. It felt foolish and vulnerable for, for Israel to be like, yeah, for 40 days, we've just kind of been sitting here, intimidated and afraid. But the Lord was sending David. David was coming. David was coming. David was coming. We needed to wait. They needed to wait for David. One more quote here. Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann says this, Israel, who faces the Philistine threat in fear and immobility, acts as if God were irrelevant to the battle. If God is irrelevant in the face of the Philistines, all is lost for the Israelites. But David will not have it so. For David, it is an un unthinkable to assess a battle or anything else apart from the rule of the living God. I told you this story was a lot less about, um, bang, Goliath, you're dead, let's move on. It's a lot less about an individual victory, and it's about Israel rediscovering their identity and Israel rediscovering the fact that they're the people of the living God. This had been lost. If you recall, they had been led by judges and they were very tribal and they were afraid and they wanted, they told Samuel, we want a king and the Lord establishes a king and that's Saul. And so far it's not off to a great start. Things are not off to a great start. Saul is not taking them in a great direction. So this is a critical time in the history of that nation, a critical moment. So let's talk a little bit about David and some challenges that David faced. So David shows up. He's like, who is this guy? He's, he's seeing the world differently. He's, he's seeing God differently than those around him. But then David has got some, some challenges that he's got to look at. So he starts asking people questions like, well, who is this guy? What's the reward again? Maybe he was a little self-motivated. Maybe he did like that reward. Maybe he was somewhat interested in that. But we see, oh, I spilled on myself. That's typical. Um, so we see David have to interact. You know, we, we always go right to David and Goliath. But there were two other groups I want us to think about that David experienced. David experienced three challenges. He experienced his family challenges. He experienced challenges of Saul and the establishment of what was there. And he experienced Goliath, the enemy. He actually had three different 
relationships going on, three different dynamics going on. From his family, he was receiving ridicule and accusation. They're like, why are you here? You just want to see things. And, and, and you could tell even in the banter, he's like, can I not do anything right? There, there's a history here, right? As with family, it's like, okay, well, this goes back a while. Uh, there's, there's history here. There's, and, and so David shows up, he's bringing food, he's bringing supplies, he's wanting to know what's going on, and his family is being really critical of him, accusing him, resenting him. The second group that he starts talking to is after he's trying to figure out what's going on, he's like, we need to take care of this. And they're like, well, you should go see Saul. So he goes in and he sees Saul, who's the king, who's, who's setting the tone for all of the armies of Israel, setting the tone saying, hey, if somebody wants to go, I'll pay you a lot of money to go do this, but I'm not going to do it. The establishment, they've got fear, they've got immobility, they've got a lack of faith. Man, I don't know about you, but sometimes I get turned around by easy criticism. It's like, oh man, well, my family's criticizing me. Maybe I won't press into that. Well, all right, I'll get over my family criticism. Well, you know, I'm going to go talk to my boss or, or I'm going to go talk about this. Or I want to go start doing that. Oh man, people are not interested in hearing that. Been there, tried that. You ever been somewhere where you're the new person on the block at work and you show up and you're like, hey, let's try this and this and this and this. that won't work. That won't, we've tried it. That won't work. That won't work. That won't work. Have you been the boss where you're like, the new person shows up and you're like, that won't work. That won't work. Man, I've, uh, I've, I've seen both the benefit and the, and the challenge of when you bring in someone new and in a job environment, you're like, please tell me everything you see because you're seeing things with the fresh eyes. And please make sure that you listen and hear because there's a lot you just don't understand too right? You've got to have both and. So David's got to overcome his family challenges. David has to understand how does he relate to Saul? And by the way, does Saul know that I was anointed king? Hmm. And Saul acts like in the interaction that he doesn't even know who's David's name, know David's name. So I'm like, I wonder when he played the guitar for Saul, if they have him like behind a curtain or something. Like, we'll, we'll have you come and we'll play the guitar, but like, don't see you. I don't know. But there's this weird little dance going on with Saul. And then you've got the enemy's threats. You could step outside and look at Goliath and look at the enemy. David overcame by his understanding of God being living and active in his life personally. He, David had experiences with God, giving him power to overcome at previous times. David had a higher vision, looks at Israel like a shepherd and sees God as mighty and active, but he's got to deal with all of these circumstances. And we do too, don't we? Our family's saying this, our friends are saying that, this group is saying that. Saul, we have a lot of Saul's out there, don't we? There's a lot of Saul voices out there. And some people say the Saul voices are the enemy and other people say, well, the enemy is Saul. And who, who's what, what are we listening to? So David, Eugene Peterson draws out this idea of something that was different in David. He says this, and he's challenging us in how we think vis-a-vis David. Are we going to live this life from our knees, 
imaginatively and personally? Are we going to live it conventionally and at second hand? Are we going to live out of our God-created, spirit-anointed, Jesus-saved being? Or are we going to be toady and defer to unique, eunuch professionals? Are we going to be shaped by our fears of Goliath or by God? Are we going to live by our adoration of Saul or by God? And I would add in there, are we going to do what our family expects? Are we going to tow the traditional line? As David makes his way towards this showdown with Goliath, his focus on God was tested. It was tested by his family. It was tested by Saul trying to say, put my armor on, put my traditions on, put my ways on. It was one thing to declare, we got to take this guy down from afar, but it was another thing to start walking the journey out. It's another thing to make the journey to the battlefield. And David had to walk through those things on his way to the battlefield. So think about these different perspectives of what's going on. Saul's got this group. The Philistines has this group. The family's over here. And what, what, is, what is David looking at? What is David focused on? What is David thinking about? He's thinking about the establishment of God's people, the people of a living God. He's thinking about something greater. He's thinking about something different. He's thinking about a different way. What are we looking at today? Are we consumed with our enemies? I think in this times, it's easy to just sit back and say, well, man, let's, have you heard about this enemy and that enemy and this problem and that problem? We can focus on enemies and what's coming against us, not have our focus on who is for us. Are we demoralized by the failures around us? The failures of Saul, the failures of the nation you're a part of. Think about this. David could have been like, David was anointed king, and he could be like, man, this is a good time for the Philistines to knock off Saul so I can become king. David could have had a messed up idea. That's messed up, isn't it? That's really messed up. David could have had a messed up way of thinking about this situation. But even, even with the failures of Saul, even with the failures of, of the Saul kingdom, he, would, he, was, he was more interested in the redemption of what God would do with the kingdom than he was in correcting Saul. He's like, if we're the people of the living God, God's going to correct us. God's going to set us straight. God's going to work with us. He was more interested in the redemption than the destruction of Saul. At this time in culture, we're desperate for Davids to rise up. We're desperate for us to be Davids in our time. Davids who are humble and courageous. You know, as David did this, he didn't, he didn't um, get flippant with his family and be like, ah, forget about you. I know what I'm doing. He was like, man, I can't, I can't. I want to serve my family. I want to care for my family. They're not going to receive it. When he went to Saul, he wasn't disrespectful of Saul. He was like, man, this armor, I, I can't do this. I can't even move. He's like, thank you, but I can't do this your way. David saw God first. So one more quote from Eugene Peterson. I love this quote here, and I want us, us to see all that it captures. 
It says this, it says, until David walked into the valley of Elah and knelt at the brook, the only options seemed to be a bullying might or a fearful right. Take your choice, brutal Goliath or anxious Saul. David kneeling, unhurried and calm, opened up another option. God, God's way, God's salvation. And David saw God establishing something different than what existed at that time. He saw God establishing something that was not, the Philistines are so great, we're never going to overcome them. Or, oh man, how do we appease what Saul's doing? And Saul's, Saul's confused and Saul's, Saul's trying to do it his way. Saul had abandoned Sinky God and Saul was just wanting to pay people to figure it out. David was not fighting for himself. He was not fighting for his own greatness. As he picked up the smooth stones and starts running towards the giant, this is what he says. You come against me with the sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands. I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I'll give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. The whole world will know. See, David was seeing something completely different. He was, he was on a completely different perspective. He was saying, the world will know there's a God in Israel. David was already acting like a king. He was already shepherding the people of Israel. He wanted to be established that they were a people of God, and God was in Israel. All those who gathered here will know that it's not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. David's not running out because he thinks he's this great warrior, He's running out because he's like, God is with us. God has been with me before. God's been with us in the past as a people. And, and God is going to be with us moving forward. The whole world will know there's a God in Israel. This is what David was fighting for. Not for ego, not for promotion, but for the glory of God to be revealed in Israel. It was something much higher, something much greater. I think for us in this time in which we live, man, the Lord's asking us to see something higher and something greater. How can we be Davids in this time? How can we be Davids in this time? Not to see, not, not to, to focus and cower from our enemies and not to, to focus on the Saul's and the failures and the, and the carnal ways of trying to be God's people. How can we see different? Another quote from Walter Brueggemann, he says this, David is the one who bears witness to the rule of Yahweh. In so doing, he calls Israel away from its imitations of the nations. So in this interaction with Goliath, Goliath was cursing using his own gods. And, 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 and it's like David's saying, we're not going to imitate other nations. I'm going to come with a slingshot and God's going to show up and do something amazing. That is not what other nations do. Other nations don't send a teenager out with a slingshot to win their war. We're not going to do what other nations do. And calls the nations away from their, from their foolish defiance of Yahweh. Philistines, don't, 
you guys could, you guys could surrender right now. That would be easier for you. In quite a general sense, this is a missionary speech, summoning Israel and the nations to a fresh faith in Yahweh. And this is a much bigger story than taking down a giant. So Jesus, I want to close by talking just a little bit about Jesus, our shepherd, our great shepherd. Jesus came as the same shepherd. He came to conquer sin and death to establish a kingdom that would never end, to make a way for us to become sons and daughters. Jesus is our good shepherd. He sees us as oppressed, immobilized by fear and need of rescuing with a real enemy and insufficient religion. As I was thinking about this and what it means to have a heart of David and to be David's, is, you know, David, David came and he saw the people of Israel being oppressed by Goliath. And he says, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. It's like, I don't want people to lose heart. I don't want people to give up. I don't want people to back down. It's the heart of Jesus. Jesus looks out and says, don't and, and he's, he, he's like, he's come to seek and save each person. He's come to seek and save each person. And he wants to do away with the oppressor, with the Goliath, the Goliath who comes and says, you're no one, you're Saul's people. Think about that idea of, well, you're Saul's people. You're Saul's people. God says, no, you're my people. You're my children. And as shepherds for us in the time in which we live, those are the eyes God wants us to see. Who are the oppressed people that you see? Who are the people that, that, that the enemy is coming and saying, oh, those are Saul's people. And you're like, no, those are God's people. When you look around where you work and you, where you go to school and where you um, shop, how do you see people? Do you see people as God's people? And God's made you a shepherd in the place in which he's put you? Or do we see people as like, well, they're this people, and they're that people, they're Saul's people. And David shows up and he goes, I see God's people. I see God's people. I see, and, and, and Jesus is like, he, he was doing that with his disciples all the time. They're like, well, do you want us to fall, call down fire from heaven over this group? And he's like, oh, guys, you don't get it. No, no, I don't want you to do that. I came to seek and save them. I, I want you to be shepherds. I want you to come with shepherds. He says, I want you to serve and not Lord. There's a restoring of the identity of humanity that we're called to do. We're called to uphold every single person on the planet as having God's identity. Amen. We're called to go after that. The Imago Dei, the image of God in every person. That's what we're called to do. What Goliaths do we see oppressing other people? How are we called to rise up as Davids and see the oppressors brought down, see the oppression brought down, and see the identity of each person raised up? 
What about our lives? What about our circumstances? Are we stuck with Saul thinking and Saul environments? Are we afraid of our enemies around us? Are we resentful? Have we forgotten the living God? David's here to remind us we're God's people. God's active on our behalf. He's fighting for us. We need Davids in our lives, and we're called to be Davids. We need both. We need both. And we need to be honest. Lord, come, save me. Help me. Rescue me. Give me eyes to see. Set me free from the oppressor. In this one event, it wasn't just about a big, tall dude falling down. It was this. God did this. He conquered the enemies. He brought correction to the people of Israel. He gave favor to David. He reestablished God's glory, primacy, and activity in Israel. He declared to the nations the glory of God and changed the trajectory of the nation of Israel. That's what this Goliath story is about. This is powerful. This is amazing. And he didn't do it because somebody was really good at a slingshot. He did it because David knew what it was to have a heart after God. And he said, something's wrong. Something's amiss. This isn't right. Something's got to change. Jesus changed everything. He experienced pressure from his family. He experienced pressure from the religious establishment, the Saul's of his day. He experienced the tyrannical government of Rome, the Philistines. Jesus had to walk in all three of those spaces, his family, the religious establishment, the political establishment. Jesus, like David, overcame these obstacles to establish a kingdom that's unsurpassed. To the political realm, he made a mockery of their power. He established a kingdom that continues to this day. And it has continued to grow and grow and grow and grow. And it can't be shut down by any earthly realm. He established a people that are willing to lay down their lives for their friends. Seeds that will go into the ground and die to produce more fruit. An upside down kingdom in which Jesus followers serve and don't lord. A kingdom in which loving the least of these is our calling. It's not a kingdom that can be won or lost by earthly might or power. A kingdom in which the powers of the enemy have been disarmed. A kingdom in which Jesus' followers reflect their king. To the religious systems, he fulfilled the requirements of righteousness. There's nothing any religious system can add to the work of Jesus. That's what Stanley said today. Who are we following? Who? It is not dependent upon location or temple. His kingdom is in the hearts of people. The Holy Spirit has been given. The word of the Lord is written on the hearts of his people. Jesus is building his church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. And to his family, he says, I'm going to have more children than there are sand in the seashores. Sons and daughters. That's his inheritance. In the time of David, it would have been easy to declare that God is dead, that God is not involved with his people, that becoming like all other nations was the end. But David's story tells a very different account. 
When we look around today, when we think about the things that discourage us, the earthly kingdoms, the ugly religious systems, our messy families, what do we see? God is calling to you and me today. He's saying this, I'm alive. I'm the living God. My kingdom will never end. My love for you never fails. I am with you to the end. Set the captives free. Pray for healing and deliverance. See how my kingdom grows in the hearts of each person. I am Yahweh. I am here for you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Have a heart like David. Pick up your slingshot. Let's go set the oppressed free. So I want to close and pray for us that God will give us, we started singing this morning, open the eyes of our heart, Lord. We want to see you. We want to see you. We want to see what you're after. We want to see what you're establishing. We want to see you because you're doing it differently. You do it differently. And I want to do this quote one more time about David because I want us to be and a challenge and an encouragement for us. Are we going to live this life from our knees, imaginatively and personally? Are we going to live it conveniently and at second hand? Are we going to live out of our God-created, spirit-anointed, Jesus-saved being? Or are we going to toady and defer to eunuch professionals? Are we going to be shaped by our fears of Goliath or by God? Are we going to live by our admiration of Saul or by God? So let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning that you are Yahweh. You are the living God. We don't come here and worship and, and speak to one another and sing and, and listen to your word because of old, just because of the past, because these are dead stories, Lord. You're a living God. You're alive and active in each one of us. Lord, would you be that? Would you show up as that living God in each one of our lives? Lord, for people who are who can only see the, the accusation and the challenge of their family, Lord, would you give them eyes to see you? Lord, for those of us who can only see the Sauls and the failures of the Sauls, would you give us your eyes? Lord, for those of us who can only see Goliath and the enemy, Lord, would, would you give us our, your eyes to see you? Lord, we want to be Davids. We want to be people with hearts after you. And Lord, we need Davids. Lord, for each one of us where we, we feel oppressed, where we're stuck, we're immobilized, where we're scared, Lord, would you come, Jesus, would you come and be our David? Would you come and shut the mouth of the enemy? Would you come and bring healing? Would you come and bring deliverance? Would you come and bring friendship? Would you come and break loneliness? Would you come and break despair? Lord, thank you that our identity and our calling is to be people with hearts after yours and that your heart is after us. Thank you that Jesus came. He came and he came and he pursued us and he disarmed the works of the enemy, and he made a better way. You've made a better way. Lord, lift up our eyes today for each one of us. Lift up our eyes. Let us see you, the living God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
As we close this morning, we're going to have a prayer team over here. If you'd like prayer for anything specific, please um, go to the prayer team. If you're online and you have a prayer request, we have an email address you can send your prayer request to. Um, But as we go this morning, can you guys stand up and do something for me? One thing, one little, one prophetic act together today. I just, can can you do this? Let's Let's like get our slingshots going like this, like this. And I just ask that you... Think about the Goliath. Think about the Goliath in your life right now. Think about the Goliath that's harassing someone you love, people that you love, someone that you know. And let's throw these things, yeah? Yeah. Amen. Amen. All right. Bless you all. Have a wonderful week. Amen.